You're tuned in to The Todd Coconado Show, otherwise known as The Remnant, one of the most listened to podcasts in the Christian community. You can visit our website, toddcoconado.com, and now broadcasting live around the world from Music City, USA, Nashville, Tennessee, here's the host of the show, Pastor Todd Coconado. Welcome, Remnant Warriors. Thank you for tuning in today. We're so happy that you're here. God is good. He is faithful. And we are going to get into today's very important broadcast. Merry Christmas to you. Merry Christmas to your family. And I hope that you're having a good holiday, holy day season so far. You know, when I think about the Christmas story, I think about just how significant this story is. The story of the birth of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He saved a wretch like me. He took me out of the world. I was messed up. I was... I was caught up. I thought I was successful. I thought I was happy, but there was a major void in my heart. And God got a hold of my life, and I had an encounter with him. I had an encounter with his Holy Spirit, and I'll never, ever be the same. And many people during Christmas, they, they go into a church that they normally wouldn't go into. They, they probably don't attend church. There's a lot of folks that are Christmas and Easter Christians. Well, they're not really Christian, probably a lot of them. But they do step into a church. And when they step into the church, I pray that they will hear somebody preach the word of God and truth and that the word of God will not return back void in their heart. And so I'm going to go through some of the story of Christmas today from a little bit different perspective. And I believe this is going to not only encourage you, but I think give you a couple other layers to this story that you might not hear when people preach about this. It actually began a long time before the starry night in Bethlehem. Did you know that? It started with a prophecy in the Old Testament, and it's in Isaiah 7, 14. And that prophecy said, therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Emmanuel means God with us. Emmanuel, God with us. And so even though from the creation, God already knew what was going to happen because he's outside of the constraints of time. We have to understand something significant happened when the prophet Isaiah prophesied this because that prophecy was later fulfilled. See, this prophecy foretold the coming of a savior that was going to be born of a virgin. And this sets the stage for the miraculous events that are still to come. So then let's go to when the angel Gabriel who also, by the way, plays a pivotal role in this story, the Christmas story. He, he reveals himself to Mary. And this is in Luke 1, 26 through 38. Luke 1, 26 through 38. It describes the moment when he appears to her. It says this, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. When she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and considered what manner of greeting this was. Then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son, and his name shall be called Jesus. So 
Somebody asked me recently, why did in the Old Testament it said Emmanuel, and in the New Testament it says Jesus? Well, this is very simple. Emmanuel means God with us. And Jesus, Yeshua, is the Messiah. So they both have very significant meanings. Yeshua is Messiah. He is the one that uh, the Jews and the whole world has waited for, Messiah. Well, he came. His name is Jesus. That was his name. But he is Emmanuel at the same time. He is God with us. In other words, he was fully God and fully man. Only God could do that because God is omnipotent. He is omnipresent. He is all places at the same time. He is the only being that is out there that could could possibly do this, be in all these different places at once and, and also be living here on the earth amongst men, fully God and fully man in the form of Jesus. It's very important that we understand it. The other thing, Joseph was of the house and lineage of David. Why is that important? Well, because it had to, the Messiah had to come from the lineage of David, and Jesus did. So he is the fulfillment of that prophecy in the Old Testament. 2AT, by the way. There's no one else that's ever lived or that ever will live that will fulfill that prophecy. And that's why it's so um, amazing that, that there's a large portion of the people, especially Jewish people, that have not accepted Jesus as Messiah. But we've talked about this in recent broadcasts, is that part of God's redemption plan for all mankind was to graft Gentiles into the vine so that both Jew and Gentile could be one new man before the Lord Jesus and, and be in the kingdom of God when they accept Jesus as their Lord and Savior. But part of the redemption story is in the last days, there's going to be a revelation to many Jewish people to come to know Messiah. I believe we're, at, we're getting close to that time. We may be in the, in the beginning of that, where many Jewish people are going to come to know Yeshua, Jesus, Messiah. And so we need to continue to pray for that. So Mary's acceptance of this divine plan marks the beginning of God's incarnation on earth. Again, fully God and fully man. Now, let's follow uh, Joseph and Mary on their journey to Bethlehem. And this was a, a part of a mandated census that was being uh, given in the land. They needed to know information about the citizenry. And, and so let's recount this part of the story as found in Luke 2, 1 through 5. Luke 2, 1 through 5. And it says this, And it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This census first took place while Canerius was governing Syria. So all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee out to the city of Nazareth, into Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David. This is why this is important, okay? And, and, and he was uh, going to be registered there with Mary, who was his betrothed wife, who was also, by the way, with child. So imagine the challenges they faced on their way to a humble stable in Bethlehem. Imagine this, this, this woman that had had this experience, she found favor with God, and she had an experience where an archangel, Gabriel, appeared to her and let her know, look, you're going to be pregnant and you're going to bear a child, and his name is going to be Emmanuel. In other words, he's going to be God with us. That's what they were saying is your child is going to be God in, in, the, in the flesh. And, and imagine her trying to re receive this message, you know, like I would be sitting there asking like a million questions, like what, what are you talking about? I'm gonna have a child and 
It's going to be God. I'm going to give birth to God. What, how is this even possible? That's how amazing. See, we kind of take it for granted, this story. But when you sit here and you think about it, and then, and then imagine what, uh, you know, Joseph had to deal with. I mean, think about all the jealous people in today's world, different relationships and things like that. Can you imagine your wife or, you know, she's not even your wife yet. She's your soon to be wife or whatnot coming to you and saying, hey, uh, by the way, I'm pregnant. But guess what? It's not from another man. It's actually from God. It's, it, I'm going to give birth to God, Emmanuel, God with us. I mean, can you imagine? I would love to have been a fly on the wall there just to hear how that conversation actually went because that must have been wow, right? I mean, just wow. And then think about it. And then, and then for what, what, do you, what does the guy say? What does Joseph say? Like, oh, okay. So you didn't have sex with somebody else. You, you, God gave you a baby and you're going to give birth to God. So I'm, I'm cool with that. I mean, I can imagine that this man was probably tormented. I'm sure there was an element of him that didn't believe what his soon-to-be bride was going to, you know, was telling him. Like, what? Like, I'm sure he's thinking in his mind, well, she must have slept with somebody else. You know, it, 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 there's got to be a rational solution. It couldn't be an angel. But see, something happened is that we look into Matthew 1, 18 through 25. And this is where the acceptance of Joseph regarding uh, Mary's pregnancy is described. So he accepts it here. And this is where it explains it. So uh, Matthew 1, 18 through 25, if you're taking notes, it says, now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found of child of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, being just a man and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel came, okay? An angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take your wife, Mary, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit, and she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. So there's so much more to this story. I want to make sure you understand it, and we actually know the truth of this story because it's such an important story. So we will be back with the Todd Coconato Show on this very important Christmas edition. Merry Christmas to you and your family. We love you. We bless you. We're coming out with a new app in January. Be excited. The Todd Coconato Ministries app, and we'll be right back. All right, welcome back to the Todd Coconato Show, otherwise known as The Remnant. It's a very important Christmas edition of the broadcast, where I know you probably heard this a million times, but there are certain things that I even couldn't answer when my wife was asking me this last week that I had to get into and really remember and study. So I think this is going to be important for all of us to understand. So I was talking about, I just left off in the last segment, where I was talking about um, how uh, the angel said, look, his name's going to be Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. They were speaking to Joseph in the dream, the angel. And then Joseph being aroused from his sleep, meaning he woke up, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took to him his wife and did not know her till she had brought forth his firstborn son and he called his name Jesus. So what I think that means 
is that Joseph initially planned to divorce Mary quietly because he was aware that she was pregnant. So this, here's a guy. He's like, look, I don't know who got you pregnant. Clearly, it wasn't me. Uh, you're supposed to be a virgin. And, you know, I thought you were this very pure woman, and I thought I knew you, and then here you are pregnant. And, and he, you know, he wasn't the father, okay? He wasn't the father of the baby. However, after having the angel of the Lord appear to him in a dream and explain that the child was conceived by the Holy Spirit and was the fulfillment of the prophecy in Isaiah, then Joseph accepted the divine nature of Mary's pregnancy and obeyed the angel's instructions. He took Mary as his wife and played a crucial role in the raising and protecting of Jesus. Joseph's faith and obedience in the face of this extraordinary situation demonstrates his strong trust in God's plan. I think we got to realize that because I don't know if you've ever really thought about how significant this was for this man to accept this woman that got pregnant by somebody else. Well, it was the Holy Spirit. So that's very important for us to understand. And, and again, we think of the challenges then that they faced on their way to Bethlehem. They couldn't find an inn. Uh, here's this woman that's pregnant. It must have been painful for her. You know, their transportation was not some type of comfort transportation like we have today. And even today, I mean, think about a long day of traveling on an airplane. You're, you're uncomfortable. It's not exactly the funnest experience, but that's like a million times better than what they had to deal with. They had to deal with, you know, roads that were bumpy and unpaved and, um, you know, a donkey pulling. I mean, you know, it's not like they were on some, some lavish carriage or, you know, they weren't traveling like the, the elites of that day did. I mean, they were in the most humble of circumstances. I can only imagine how that was. I, I really don't think that we can wrap our minds around how uncomfortable and this journey that they were having. So here's this guy that's got this very pregnant at this point woman they're on their way on these very, um, you know, antiquated roads, and and they're and they're you know they don't have any kind of transportation other than, you know, basically just this donkey. Imagine this. I mean, this is you know you don't put yourself in their position, and think about this. So then the the moment we've all been waiting for in Luke two six through seven describes the birth of Jesus, and so it was in Luke chapter two six verse seven that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Okay, so let's, let's get into this. No room in the inn. Why? So the Bible doesn't specifically provide details about why there was no room for Mary and Joseph in the inn, but it's believed to be because Bethlehem was overcrowded due to the census that was ordered by Caesar Augustus. So in the Gospel of Luke, it's mentioned that Joseph and Mary traveled to Bethlehem for the census, and many other people would have been traveling there as well to register. Uh, you know, you could read this in Luke 2, 1 through 7, which I read from a few minutes ago. And so the inn may have been fully occupied by other travelers, who had arrived in Bethlehem for the same sentence, leaving no available accommodations for Mary and Joseph. And so as a result, they had to she, uh, seek shelter in a stable. And it was there, of course, that Jesus was born and he was placed in this manger. And this humble setting is an important part of this story because it emphasizes the humility and the simplicity of the Savior's birth. Now, I want to talk about this, okay? 
the, 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 the Savior's birth, Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, born in a manger. Okay, why? Think about this. So that the most poor person on the planet, either now or then, can still relate to this because Jesus, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the Savior of all mankind, was, was willing to humble, humble himself in such a way that he literally was born where animals, animals live. Smelly, there's probably, you know, poop around there from their, from their you know, they're animals, okay? If you have a dog, you know what I mean. Um, you know, it wasn't exactly a, a, a comfortable bed. It was, it was a place for animals. And yet here comes the savior of all mankind. We think about the accommodations that we have these days where we have beds and mattresses and homes and roofs over our head and we live pretty darn well, especially in the Western world. Even in the midst of all the different economic challenges and things that are going on, most of us have a pretty comfy, cushy life. And, and if you think about the savior of all mankind, he, he is, he's majesty. I mean, this is, this is the one who sits upon the throne of glory that the seraphim and the cherubim are like, you know, holy, holy is the Lord thy God. And yet he was willing to come and, and be born in this most humble place. That should tell you so much about God. And by the way, while we're at it, you know, a lot of people today equate blessing to finances. They equate blessing to like, you know, if you're wealthy or you have a big ministry or a big name or lots of followers or, you know, you're well-known or whatever, you know, these are things that people uh, aspire to achieve in this hour, just like they did, you know, for many, many years. But uh, think about it. So what, what did Jesus get tempted with when he was in the wilderness? Who, what, what did Satan tempt him with? He said, well, you, you know, I'll give you all the, all the kingdoms of the earth. Let, let's go to that verse real quick. So Satan in, uh, let's see here, it was Matthew 4, 1 through 11. He tempts him with the bread. Satan tempted Jesus, who had been fasting for 40 days, to turn stones into bread to satisfy his hunger. And Jesus responded by quoting the scripture, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. The word, Jesus is the word. Then there was the temptation of power and authority. Satan took Jesus to the pinnacle of the temple in Jerusalem and urged him to throw himself down, saying that angels would save him. And Jesus again quoted the scripture saying, you shall not put the Lord your God to a test. In other words, don't test the Lord. Then the temptation of worldly kingdoms. This is what I want to get to. Satan showed Jesus all the kingdoms of the world and offered them to him in exchange for worship. But Jesus rebuked Satan saying, get behind me, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Now, why am I talking about this when it comes to where Jesus was born? Well, think about it. Jesus was born in the most humble of places. He could have easily been born in a palace or in the most luxurious of circumstances in that hour. But God wanted him to be born in this very humble manger. And the reason is so that he could relate to every single human being, not only then, but for all eternity. And this is the God that we serve. He was willing to humble. Imagine that when, when, when we're supposed to act like Christ as Christians, followers of Christ, when we think about he went to the lowest possible place to be born and then beat on the cross in a way that was so vile and horrible. 
Man, we got so much more to talk about. Stay tuned. This is Pastor Todd Coconato. The Remnant will be right back. Welcome back to the Todd Coconato Show, otherwise known as The Remnant. We're so thankful that you're here. We're talking about Christmas. Put Christ back in Christmas. What is the real story of Christ's birth? We're not arguing about what time of year, not on today's broadcast. We're arguing about the actual story. We're telling the story from the Scripture, straight from the Scripture. And, of course, we got into just a few moments ago where the birth of Jesus took place, the simplicity of a king, born in a manger, and the fact that the world would never be the same. It would never be the same. So the night of Jesus' birth is filled with wonder. In Luke 2, 18 through 14, Luke 2, 18 through 14, it reveals the angelic proclamation to the shepherds, okay? To the shepherds now. Listen to this. In Luke 2, 8 through 14, it says, Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. And then the angel said, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of joy, great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this shall be assigned to you. You will find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, laying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace and goodwill toward men. Literally, the heavens are bursting forth with praise and the shepherds hurried to witness this miracle. Let's dive into this a little bit more. What is the story behind the shepherds? Well, the shepherds in the Christmas story, as described in the Bible, which I just spoke about, were simple and humble individuals who were tending to their sheep in the fields near Bethlehem on the night of Jesus' birth. And the reason why they play a significant role in the nativity story, as they were the first to receive the news of Jesus' birth from a host of angels. And here's the significance of the shepherds in the story. It's multifold. They were witnesses to the angelic announcement. The shepherds were chosen by God to be the first to hear about the birth of the Messiah, who is Jesus. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and a multitude of heavenly angels joined in praising God and proclaiming the good news. This signifies that the message of Jesus' birth was intended for all, including, get this, ordinary people like the shepherds. Are you getting some of this story? So here is Jesus born in swaddling clothes in a manger, probably the lowest place I mean, think of how many people have been born in mangers that you know about, right? I mean, even, even poor people in today's standards, okay, are not born in, the, in those types of conditions. He lowered himself to the absolute lowest possible place to be born. And then the angels and this announcement is made to ordinary folks. And I think that's significant. It also is a symbol of humility and simplicity. The choice of the shepherds as the initial recipients of the birth announcement underscores the theme of humility and simplicity in the narrative. Shepherds were often considered lowly and marginalized in society, and their inclusion in this significant event highlights the, the nature of Jesus' message and his identification with all people, 
including the lowly and downtrodden. This is important for us to think about. Here's my immediate response. The shepherds wasted no time. And, and immediately they went to Bethlehem to see the newborn Jesus as the angels had instructed them. They didn't question it. Their swift response and the faithfulness serve as an example of how people should respond to the message of Christ with eagerness and faith. They also bore witness. After encountering the baby Jesus, the shepherds shared the news of his birth. I think this is why they did this, the angels, with others. Their testimony served as an early witness to the miraculous nature of Jesus' birth reinforcing the message from Isaiah, the message of the gospel, and the message that he was the long-awaited Messiah. And this is why I believe that as the veil is taken off the eyes of many Jewish people at the end of of the time of the Gentiles, in accordance to the redemption plan of mankind, I think many Jewish people are going to know Jesus as Messiah before the Lord returns. And I think we're maybe, you know, some of the things that are happening in the world right now are going to cause that. And I think that the Lord is going to reveal himself to many in dreams and visions. And not just Jews, to Muslims, to other folks. We're already hearing these types of testimonies and stories. I believe this is going to accelerate as the as the world gets darker and the hour gets later, I believe that the Lord is going to reveal himself to many. And so in summary of this, the shepherds in the Christmas story represent the idea that the birth of Jesus is good news for all people, regardless of their social status. Their presence emphasizes themes of humility, simplicity, faith, and the significance of Jesus to everybody, his birth to everybody. And they remind us that the message of Christ's coming is for all people, and even the humblest of individuals can play a vital role in the story of salvation. Amen? So hopefully this is, this is a little helpful. These are just some tidbits here of some extra things that maybe we normally wouldn't talk about when it comes to this story. Now we're going to get into what we call the the visit of the Magi, the visit of the Magi, okay? It wouldn't be complete without the wise men, in other words, who traveled from afar. And in Matthew 2, 1 through 12, it tells this about their journey. Matthew 2, 1 through 12, if you're taking notes. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, In the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born the king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. And these magi brought gifts for a king, honoring this newborn savior. So what is the significance of the gifts that they brought? Let's look into this. So what's called the gifts of the Magi, also known as the wise men or three kings, depending on who presents the story, they presented to the infant Jesus significant gifts in the, in the narrative of Jesus' birth. And there's, there's a significance. Let's get into this. Number one, there was symbolism. The three gifts brought by the Magi were gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And each of these gifts hold uh, sig- symbolic significance, okay? Gold is precious and valuable. It's a metal, obviously. It's often associated with kings and royalty. By offering gold, the Magi acknowledged Jesus was a king, signifying his royal lineage and the sovereignty of his future kingdom. Frankincense is a fragrant, uh, it's a resin used in religious rituals, and it symbolizes the divinity of Jesus, recognizing him as the son of God. The gift of frankincense, uh, frankincense 
reflects the acknowledgement of Jesus' divine nature and that he is, he is a priest. So it's very important that we understand he is, he is the, the priest, the high priest. He's the king of kings, the Lord of lords. And myrrh is, is a um, aromatic resin, aromatic resin often used in embalming, and it signifies in, uh, suffering and sacrifice. And the gift of myrrh foreshadows Jesus' future suffering and death, emphasizing his role as Savior who would give his life for the redemption of humanity. So foreshadowing Jesus' life and mission, the choice of these specific gifts by the Magi is seen as a prophetic gesture. It foreshadows the various aspects of Jesus' life and mission, including his identity as King and Divine Son and Savior. It underscores the complexity and depth of his purpose on earth. The recognition is the visit of the Magi is significant because it represents the acknowledgement of Jesus' birth by individuals from different cultures and backgrounds. Traditionally believed to have come from the East, the Magi's journey to honor Jesus highlights the universal appeal of his message and his importance to all people regardless of their origins. And the fulfillment of prophecy, the presentation of these gifts aligns with the Old Testament prophecies, uh, further establishing Jesus as the fulfillment of the messianic expectations. For example, Psalm 72, uh, 10 through 11, speaks of kings bringing gifts of gold, incense, to the Messiah. I mean, you can't make this stuff up. This is how precise and significant it is that all these things had to happen. And so, you know, we, we talk about the story and a lot of times it's just repetitive, but we don't really think about the significance and the meaning behind these things. So in summary, the gifts of the Magi are significant because they symbolize Jesus' identity, his mission, and the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecies. This is so important when we talk about Jesus. He is the fulfillment of the prophecy. He is Messiah. And so they highlight the universal nature of his importance and the recognition of his importance by individuals from different backgrounds. And these gifts are a crucial part of this story. And so it's just an amazing thing. I mean, these things, I, don't, I hope that you enjoy this. This to me is amazing. Let's, let's get into one more thing that I think we need to discuss before the break. And it was the fact that if you recall, King Herod the Great, the ruler of Judea, under the Roman authority. So it wasn't uh, Caesar Augustus, it was, it was King Herod the Great. And he was the ruler under the Roman authority who sought to kill Jesus as an infant. Do you remember this? And this event is known as the Massacre of the Innocents. And it's that same spirit that wants to kill babies today, by the way. And so Herod ordered the killing of all male infants in Bethlehem and its surrounding regions in an attempt to eliminate the perceived threat to his throne posed by the prophecy of the birth of a new king of the Jews. Well, the biblical account of the massacre of the innocents can be found in the Gospel of Matthew, specifically in Matthew 2, 16 through 18, where it says this, Then Herod, when he saw that uh, he was deceived by the wise men, was exceedingly angry, and he set forth and put to death all the male children who were in Bethlehem in all of its districts from, from two years old and under according to the time which he had determined from the wise men. Then was fulfilled uh, uh, what was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet, saying a voice was heard in Ramah, lamentation, weeping, and, and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children, refusing to be comforted because they are no more. So this passage, it's recounting how Herod, upon uh, learning from the wise men that a new king of the Jews had been born, 
ordered the massacre of young male children in Bethlehem in an attempt to eliminate his potential rival to the throne. And it's important to note that uh, this event is is not directly related to Caesar Augustus. It's it's to the Roman Empire. It, it is, you know, the Roman Empire, but it's Herod's paranoia and desire to secure his own power. And Caesar Augustus' role in the biblical narrative is, is primarily linked to the census that's required, which, you know, Mary and Joseph had to travel to Bethlehem. And, and when they, um, you know, they mention this in, in Luke uh, 2, 1 through 7. So uh, how did Herod, I'm going to ask this question, how did Herod uh, connect with the wise men? Well, it's a great question. Let's answer that. So in the, in the biblical account, Herod connected with the, the wise men through their visit to Jerusalem and their inquiries about a birth of a king of, of the Jews. See, the wise men were most likely some type of astro, uh, astrologers or scholars from the east, and they observed a significant celestial event, which they interpreted as a sign of the birth of a king. And this event prompted their journey to find and pay homage to this new king. It was that star. And, and here's the relevant passage from the Gospel of Matthew. It's in Matthew 2, 1 through 2. And it says, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came uh, to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. So this is uh, all very interesting stuff, and I bet you you probably have not heard much of this in the past. So um, we're going a little bit deeper in the understanding of, of the birth of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. And we're going to finish this up. I hope you're getting something from today. This is why we celebrate the birth of Jesus. What an amazing story. What an amazing thing that God did in sending his only begotten son to die for our sins. And we should be extremely grateful and extremely blessed by it, right? So we'll be right back. This is the Todd Coconato Show, Pastor Todd. Welcome back to the Todd Coconato Show, otherwise known as The Remnant. My hope and prayer is that you learn from these broadcasts, and you can find me at pastortodd.org, and we're going to have a new app that's going to be launching in January, and I really hope that you get that app and you download it to your smart device. It's going to be a way for us to connect with you and not be censored. How cool is that? We need that, and thank you to those that have helped us develop this and pray uh, this whole thing through financially and everything. And we need your support, by the way. We, we're in a major battle. And this next year is going to be unlike anything that we've ever seen. So I, there's not a lot of voices out here. I, trust me, friends. I can't, I can't ask you enough. I need your help. I really do because we're in a war and, you know, we put our whole life and family and everything on the line to stand, you know. And people ask for pastors to do this. Well, here I am. But I need your support. please. Please pray about becoming a monthly partner by going to pastortodd.org. Please, please pray about that, especially in this new year. All right, let's get back to this story. Upon arriving in Jerusalem, the wise man's inquiries about the birth of the king of the Jews naturally attracted attention. And Herod, who was the reigning king of Judea, under Roman authority, heard about their arrival and their search for this newborn king. And the news troubled Herod as he viewed any potential rival to his throne as a threat to his power. So Herod then summoned the chief priests and scribes to inquire where the Messiah was prophesied to be born. And they cited the prophecy from the book of Micah, which pointed to Bethlehem as the birthplace of the Messiah. 
So Herod then called for a private meeting with the wise men and asked them to go to Bethlehem and to find a child claiming that he wanted to worship the newborn king as well. But in reality, Herod's intention was to locate the child and eliminate any potential threat to his rule. Well, the wise men, unaware of Herod's malicious intent, followed the guidance of the star and eventually found the young Jesus in Bethlehem where they presented their gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. However, after being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed for their own country by a different route, avoiding any further contact with the treacherous king. And this account in the Gospel of Matthew underscores the contrasting motives of wise men who sought to honor the newborn king, and then Herod, who sought to eliminate him due to the fear for his own position of power. Isn't that crazy? Well, the Gospel of Matthew, which records the event known as the Massacre of the Innocents, does not provide the specific account of the number of babies who were killed. It simply states that Herod ordered the killing of all the male children who were born in Bethlehem and all of its districts from two years old and under. And so that, that is a lot. That's a lot of baby. Imagine being a parent at that time. Imagine having a kid under two years old, and all of a sudden this evil king just says, you, you know, we have to kill your baby. I mean, I can only imagine what that was like. There was so much going on here at this time that we really don't talk very much about. And I just think uh, this is important that we talk about this, you know? So hopefully this is helpful. All right, let's, let's finish this story. So after Jesus is born, the Bible tells us a little bit of information about the events that occurred in the days, weeks, and months after the birth of Jesus. It doesn't offer a detailed account of his early childhood, but here are some key events and aspects that are mentioned in the Bible. Number one, there was the presentation at the temple days after his birth. According to the Jewish tradition, a male child was to be circumcised on the eighth day after his birth. And this ritual was performed on Jesus as mentioned in Luke 2.21. Following his circumcision, Jesus was presented at the temple in Jerusalem where Mary and Joseph offered sacrifices in accordance with Jew Jewish law. And this is recounted in Luke 2.22 and uh, that goes all the way to Luke 2.24. Then there was the visit of the wise men weeks or months after the birth. And the visit of the wise men magi who arrived from the east likely occurred sometime after Jesus' birth, possibly a few weeks or months later. Their journey to find the newborn king is described in Matthew 2, 1 through 12. Then there's the flight to Egypt. In response to Herod's malicious intent to kill the baby Jesus, an angel appeared to Joseph in a dream and, and instructed him to take Mary and Jesus to Egypt to escape Herod's wrath. And this event is detailed in Matthew 2, 13 through 15. Then, a few years later, they returned to Nazareth after the death of Herod. Joseph and Mary and Jesus then returned from Egypt to the region of Galilee, and they settled in Nazareth. And this return is mentioned in Matthew 2, 19 through 23, and also Luke 2, 39. His early childhood, well, the Bible doesn't really give much details about that, about his life during his childhood. It contains no narrative about his upbringing, his education, uh, the next significant events in his life are described in the Gospels, and they are his baptism and the beginning of his public ministry, which occur when he's around 30 years old. So the biblical account of Jesus' childhood is relatively brief, and there is a gap in the narrative from his infancy into his uh, commencement of public ministry. And outside of the Bible, there are some stories and legends about Jesus, but these are not part of the biblical record. 
So it's quite remarkable to kind of summarize this whole story. And I think that in adding these additional details, it's, it's more, um, it becomes real when you start thinking about what they actually were dealing with from all these different things happening with the, with the, the king, you know, Herod and, um, you know, the, killing the babies and the fact that there was no inn available because they had this census and so they had to have the baby in the manger and there's really not a lot of detail about his childhood, but we know that uh, he lived with Mary and Joseph and Joseph raised him kind of like a father, even though he wasn't his real father. And, and just this whole story of how uh, the fulfillment of all the prophecies, and so that's how I want to end this show, is the fulfillment of the prophecies. So just in case you question your faith or the story of Jesus or the fact that he's Messiah, and maybe you haven't accepted him as Lord and Savior, but I really believe you should today. I don't think you should wait another day. Don't wait another minute. This is the reality of our world, friends. He was born a virgin. You know, in Isaiah 7, 14, it foretold that he would, uh, you know, that a virgin would conceive and bear a son. And the fulfillment is we believe, we know that that was fulfilled when Mary, who was a virgin, gave birth to Jesus. He would be born in Bethlehem. This prophecy was in Micah 5, 2. It predicted that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. Well, Jesus was born in Bethlehem as described in the Gospels of Matthew and Luke. He would be a descendant of the lineage of David. Uh, The Messiah was expected to be a descendant of King David. That was the prophecy, and Jesus is presented in the Gospels as a descendant of David through both his earthly parents, Joseph and Mary. What about ministry in Galilee? Well, in Isaiah 9, 1 through 2, it mentioned that the Messiah's ministry would take place in no other than Galilee. (laughs) Well, here it is. Jesus conducted much of his ministry in the region of Galilee. I mean, you can't make this stuff up. What about healing the sick? Isaiah 35, 5 through 6, foretold that the Messiah would heal the blind, the lame, and the deaf. Jesus performed numerous miracles, including these types of healings as recorded in the gospel. Then you got riding into Jerusalem on a donkey. The prophecy, Zechariah 9, 9, described as the Messiah's entry into Jerusalem on a donkey. Well, here's the fulfillment. Jesus fulfilled this prophecy during his triumphal entry into Jerusalem on what is celebrated as Palm Sunday. What about the betrayal from a friend? In Psalm 41, 9, it mentioned that the Messiah would be betrayed by a close friend. Well, the fulfillment, Judas Iscariot was one of Jesus' disciples, and he betrayed him to the religious authorities. What about the crucifixion? Numerous Old Testament passages, including Psalm 22 and Isaiah 53, contain details from Christians seen as the foreshadowing of Jesus' crucifixion. Jesus was indeed crucified according to the gospel accounts. And then there's the resurrection. In Psalm 1610, it spoke about the Messiah not seeing a decay, but being raised from the dead. And of course, we know Jesus uh, was raised from the dead on the third day to fulfill the prophecy. These are just a few, friends, of the many Old Testament prophecies that Christians believe, we believe, were fulfilled by Jesus to establish his identity as Messiah. Jesus is Messiah. He was there in the beginning. He was there in the end. He will be there in the end. He's the first and the last. He's the alpha and the omega. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God. The word was God. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus is the word. He is the same 
yesterday, today, and forever. What a God we serve. Have you, have you taken the time to think about all that we discussed today and how significant all of these things are to who we are in Jesus Christ, our identity in him? This is who we are. We're in this world, but we're not of this world. And the gates of hell will not prevail against us. He's with us until the end of the age. He says, occupy until he comes. Stand on the promise of God, which is yes and amen. Hope and a future. I pray that this Christmas season, you will be blessed. That you'll go deeper in your walk. And as we get ready to go into this new year, I pray that you'd be recharged in your faith. You'd be strengthened in your faith. And and you remember all that Jesus did for you on that cross. He loves you so much. Listen, I love you, but I can't love you as much as Jesus. Jesus loves you more than we can ever imagine. I love you. Merry Christmas. Thank you for tuning in. We bless you. We'll see you next year. Hey, friends, I just want to take the time to say thank you. Thank you for your support. Thank you for your prayers. We literally could not be doing this work without you. And you mean so much to us. And thank you for believing in us. Thank you for allowing us to do this very important work in this hour. And I pray you have an amazing Christmas. Happy New Year. We're looking so forward to 2024 and all that God has in store. And uh, please reach out to me at pastortodd.org if you have any questions or you just want to say hello, pastortodd.org. We love you and we bless you in Jesus' name.